This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions and questions about stuff going on in your life. All you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area. You can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send them that way. Remember, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to do so is to use the free KSLR mobile app, just hit the call now band at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to the studio producer, and everything else will be hands-free. Hey, tonight here at Calvary Chapel, I'm going to be finishing Genesis chapter 45. Uh, and uh, then tomorrow here on the program, the Date Day Edition, Paula has lined up some ladies uh, from the women's retreat to share sort of the perspective of what's going on. We always enjoy having them on, so that will be the program tomorrow uh, on the Date Day Edition program, and we invite you to turn in. Before we get into some questions and while we await your phone calls, let me say, Thomas, thank you. A thousand times thank you. I got your pie. It's in my refrigerator right now, and um, uh, I, I almost can't wait to get home. So thank you for making it. I appreciate it very, very much. Thomas is a great cook. He can do all kinds of baking things and things, but today I think he made me a banana pudding pie, and I am really, really grateful for that. Okay, let's get to some questions that have been sent in while we await your phone calls. The first one is from Carlos from the Northeast Side. Uh, Hi, Pastor Ron. I wanted to ask you, what's a good book or chapter in the Bible to read when someone is feeling down for whatever the reason? Uh, I've just been feeling down over my wife's and mom's health issues, plus work life has been rough lately. Um, Take care and God bless you. Carlos, I'm going to answer this in two ways. I'm going to answer the question directly, but but then I'm going to try to encourage you, to exhort you, to take a little bit of different perspective. Uh, The book that's always good when you're going through something difficult is the book of Philippians. Paul wrote it from prison. And had his heart, his mind been focused on being in prison about how difficult things were. Remember in the book of Philippians, or it was in the Philippian jail, we know from the book of Acts, uh, that Paul and Silas were put in stocks. They were beaten, their backs torn open. Uh, It was just one of those things that Paul had to go through as an apostle. 
and yet he could write to the Philippians later from a Roman jail, this book that focuses on joy. So the whole thing isn't just a book or a chapter in the Bible. It's the focus. Now, here's where the exhortation comes in, Carlos. Um, our focus needs to be Jesus. The Bible says in his presence is the fullness of joy. So what you need to do is take the times when you're down and the times that you're struggling and rush into the presence of the Lord and his joy then will become your strength. His joy. It's not your joy. It's not my joy. It's his joy. And he's more than eager to share it with you. So what we need to do is focus differently. Instead of focusing on the things that are going on, focus on the goodness of God. And I'm not talking about being in denial that things are hard. That's silly and it makes no sense. But what you need to do in the middle of those hard things is deny your flesh. Understand that if you get down, the devil is going to use that to try to pound you. So we have to keep our focus. Now here's a picture, Carlos, that I hope works for you because it always does for me. I I told our church this in a message and um, it it resonated with a lot of people. Uh, You know, when we're walking around in this world, especially after the year and a half or so that we've had here uh, in in the, the world, not just the United States, but in the world, Uh, It's easy to get down. We walk around and our focus is on all the things that are going on around us, all the difficult circumstances. Uh, And and, and, uh, pretty soon we find ourselves walking around with our head down looking at the ground because there's just no joy. There's nothing of value to look at in this world. But I, I picture Jesus coming down to me during those times. And he looks at me straight in the face and he sort of takes my chin in his hand and he says to me, Ron, you've got to look up. And I'll, I'll, because it's Jesus, I'll say, okay, I'll, I'm going to look up. I'll do it. No, no, no. He says, he takes my chin, he pushes it higher and higher. He says, no, look up. David wrote, I look to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you, the maker of heaven and earth. Jesus saying, look up higher. Look over and above the circumstances. Look over and above the trials or the difficulties or the emotional issues that you're having. Look up and look at me because Jesus is in heaven and he never changes. I think about Stephen when he was being stoned to death. He looked up and Stephen was the only man who's ever lived who looked into heaven and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father ready to receive the church's first martyr. Well, in our troubles, in our trials, we need to look up. So, I, 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 this is important. The Bible is about Jesus. It's his book. And I think too often we use Bible verses or chapters in the Bible that we like, sort of almost like a, a, rabbi, a, a lucky rabbit's foot. Instead, remember, the Bible points you to Jesus. So, Carlos, look up. Don't focus on the on the circumstances that make you feel down. Don't focus on work when it's difficult. Focus on Jesus. He'll make the work easier. He'll make it richer. He'll turn what's difficult into a blessing. And the best thing of all is you will be closer to Jesus. And every time you start feeling down, it's because you're closer to the thing that's causing you to feel that way 
than you are to Jesus who would deliver you from that process. We all go through hard things and the world is hard. But one thing that we need to remember always is that Jesus is the same and in his presence, as I said, there is fullness of joy. So Carlos, it's always good to hear from you. Thank you very, very much for the question. Look up and see Jesus. Here's an anonymous question. Pastor Ron, where's the line between being sexually attracted to someone and lusting because of them? Anonymous, I, I giggle a little bit because I think we all know where that line is. Um, people are attractive, and there are people that we're going to be attracted to, and I think it's perfectly fine to acknowledge that somebody is beautiful or someone is handsome or, or, or you know, they're, they're just they're getting the most out of what they've got. I think that's a normal thing. But when we start thinking sexual thoughts toward them, that's when we've seen that line and crossed it. So again, I think this is a, a question that we all know the answer to in our own lives. It's different for all of us, but uh, it's one thing to admire somebody's beauty and a completely different thing to lust sexually after them or, or to fantasize about them. So I, I think that's just a place that we've got to, to know where that line is. And as I said, I think we all know where that line is. We need to avoid it. The enemy's always going to try to push you over it, but... We have to do that. You know, the Apostle John, writing to the church, he said uh, that we are to treat ladies, uh, and he's speaking to the men, uh, treat ladies as if they were, if they're older ladies, if they were your mother, if they were younger ladies, as if they were your sister. That's how we're to think of them. That doesn't mean that we're going to not be attracted to them all of a sudden. It just means that our behavior toward them has to really pay attention to not crossing that line. So again, I think you know where that line is. Uh, just be sure not to cross it. Um, I think that's one of the things that all of us need to work hard on. Here's a question from Raymond. Um, Pastor Ron, do you support Christian efforts to boycott products or companies who are anti-God? Uh, Raymond, I, I really don't. I think if we stopped buying things from corporations that were uh, in opposition to Christ, I don't think we'd have any supplies. I, I just think this is the way of the world, uh, and it's always been this way. There's nothing different now than before, except that we've got social media where we can organize people, and we think we're doing something to boycott products. By the way, uh, those who are on the left side of the political scale, they're boycotting things all the time, and, and, and we who are more conservative um, um, deride them for it. No, I don't think Christians should boycott products or companies. If in your own mind there is a company that crosses a, an ethical line for you, uh, then it's perfectly okay for you not to buy their products. There are some things I won't buy. There are some companies I see their ads. I, I, I simply want no part of their products. Uh, but that's a very personal decision. And I don't know why, Raymond, it shouldn't be this way with Christians, but it is. I don't know why we always want people to get in our foxhole with us. I want my thing to be their thing too. And that's simply 
I, I don't believe godly. So, no, I don't support Christian efforts to boycott products or companies. Uh, I just think that's an individual decision that we all make, and we all have those places and lines that we won't cross. So I, I just think we can take a stand for the Lord, and we don't need to worry about what anybody else is doing or if anybody else is in that Christian foxhole with us. Thank you for the question. Anita says, How would you share the gospel with people who recently lost a loved one who was not saved? I can't imagine telling them that their lost one is in hell. Anita, this is always a difficult subject to broach uh, in these circumstances. Um, But I have found the best way is to be very direct with them. Now, I don't go to anybody and say, you know, if, if your mother or your father wasn't saved, they're in hell. That's not what we do. But but especially when people are hurting, they need some sort of comfort and direction. And if you're in their life, then you're one of the people that God will use to bring them that direction or that comfort. So here's what I always do, Anita. I'll ask them, uh, is your mom or is your dad a Christian? What, was she a Christian? Was he a Christian? If the answer is no, um, then, then I'll say, well, well, let me tell you what they would say to you if they were here right now. And I go to Luke chapter 16 in the Bible. It's the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Uh, the rich man goes to heaven and he's in eternal torment. And he wants, uh, when he finds out that there's no crossing over, there's no hope for him to, 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 to find relief in torment, he says to Father Abraham, he says, well, well, at least let somebody go back and tell my brothers or my family about Jesus. And that's when Father Abraham tells him, no, if they uh, didn't believe, they won't believe. Even if a man were to rise from the dead, they wouldn't believe. And and um, so, so what I do, and I use this, by the way, at funerals uh, for people who are not believers or people that we didn't know whether or not they were believers. Um, we bring them a word from the grave. This is what your mom or your dad, this is what your husband, your wife, this is your grown son or grown daughter would say to you if they could tell you now they would tell you that Jesus is good Jesus is real and I don't want you to take the risk of being in eternal torment what I want you to do is come to know Jesus Christ and be in paradise so Anita that's how I do it um uh, I think that's uh, being sensitive at the same time it's it's being direct and um, um, one of the things that people have to deal with when they get saved is the people that they love, the people that died before uh, they found Jesus. Well, well, those people are lost. And it's a very difficult thing to, to sort of wrestle with. So be there for them. Put your arms around them. Cry with them. But remember to represent not only Jesus, but their lost loved one because the last thing their loved one would ever want them to do is experience the torment of being eternally separated from Jesus Christ. I hope that makes sense to you. Always a hard one, always an uncomfortable situation, but remember, our responsibility is to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
340-9585. The phone's been quiet. We'd love your calls. Here's a question from Bill. He says, and I'm laughing just because I know the question. Do you think the political strife, even hatred between Christians, as a result of the last election cycle can be fixed? Will there ever be unity again? Bill, I don't know when there ever was unity. I've been a Christian for 30 years now. And I don't know when there's ever been unity politically. There's Christians on both sides of the political divide. If there is ever going to be unity between political beliefs of Christians, it's going to be when we literally learn to bear one another's burdens. When we put ourselves in somebody else's shoes, when we stop talking or thinking or being defined by our political position, instead of our position in Jesus Christ. I don't really understand. Now, I know people are going to go, oh, I can't believe he said this. But but I really don't believe that two Christians ever have to talk about politics, ever. Why would we have to talk about them? we got so much more to talk about. we got so much more value to talk about. Now, I understand during a political season, but it's not over. It's not over. Why aren't we telling people about Jesus? Why are we focusing on that which causes division instead of focusing on that which we can be united in? And I just think our our minds, our hearts, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Colossae, he said to set your minds and hearts on things above. I think the problem, Bill, is that our minds and hearts are, are focused directly on worldly things. Let me also say this, and I'll take some heat for saying this as well, but it's okay. I think that we Christians, many of us, don't really believe that God is in control. I think the emphasis on politics is because we've forgotten that our kingdom is not of this world. Again, I'm not proposing that we don't vote, that we don't participate in the political system. But I think we vote, and I think we pray. Why do we need to argue? And most of all, why do we need to argue with Christians? You know, Bill, and I'll be, I'm going to make this really personal. Uh, our church, Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, has always been known for being a church um, of exceptional love, unusual love. Uh, everybody that walks in this place um, feels it, it's It surrounds us, and yet in this last political cycle, we had people in our church on Facebook and other forms of social media absolutely vilifying one another. And I think I've, I, I've never scolded our church. That's not my job, but I came pretty close to scolding our church when that information became made public. How can we be dividing the body of Christ over something as trivial as politics. And if we really believe that Jesus was in control, if we really believe that Jesus alone was the answer, we wouldn't own our politics nearly as much as we'd own our position in Christ. And Bill, I think it's really important, and and until that happens, until we walk in the Spirit instead of in the flesh, it won't be fixed. It's that simple. 
And every Christian, everyone who has participated in arguing, you might say, well, it's just political debate. It's the same thing you're arguing. If you're arguing with other believers over politics, the Spirit of God's not in control in your life. It's that simple. We walk, Paul says, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And if you look at Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, arguing is not part of it. If you look a little bit earlier than that in Galatians chapter 5, you'll see that those kinds of, of arguments, that kind of division is all of the flesh and none of the Spirit. So, Bill, all I can say is that when we Christians walk in the Spirit, we will not be striving with one another, arguing with one another. And um, I think probably that won't happen until Jesus comes back. What we can do now, if you're interested in these kind of things, Bill, if you participate in social media, when you see somebody that you know is a Christian, a professing believer, who is participating in arguing over politics, I think that's the time for a rebuke. Brother or sister, we ought not to be doing these things. As a Christian, this is not who we are, nor is it faithful to the one we represent. If we'll understand that, and if we'll take a stand for that, it's amazing behind the keyboard, people get really, really bold. What we want to do is be bold in taking a stand for righteousness. Hope that helps, Bill. Here is Wendell's question. Uh, I like this question, Wendell. It says, since the law was flawed in that it would not achieve the purpose of God, why didn't God just begin with the new covenant in the first place? Well, Wendell, um, it's never helpful to give God suggestions. You know, there are no suggestion box in heaven. God, I think you should have just started with the new covenant. Grace is wonderful. But but remember, God has always has a purpose in the things he does and the timing in which he does them. The law was designed, first and foremost, as God chose Israel to establish that God's people, Israel, would be different from the pagan peoples in the world. So the law that reflected the character and nature of God was given to them so that the way they lived their lives would be different. And if the way they lived their lives was different, then those pagans in the world would know that that their God really was God. But you see, the law also had another purpose, according to Galatians, to point out the law. When you said that it couldn't achieve the purpose of God, it couldn't achieve the purpose of God because God was, uh, his purpose was reconciliation, redemption. And the law only pointed out the obvious fact that we are all sinners on our way to hell. So um, that was the flaw. We've been redeemed from the curse of the law, the curse of the law that it wasn't that it didn't accomplish the, the purposes of God. And yet, at just the right time, Jesus always referred to a time, Wendell, when uh, he said, "My my hour has not yet come, or my hour is yet to come." but hasn't yet arrived. Uh, At just the right time, the Bible says, Christ died for the ungodly. Before 
Jesus died, there was no possibility of extending a new covenant of forgiveness. Grace is only possible through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, through his blood, his death on the cross in our place. And so as soon as Jesus accomplished the work, remember on the cross, the last thing he cried out was, it is finished to telestai in Greek. The debt is paid. Then he could give up his spirit. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Why? Because he was done. And because he was done, then the new covenant could come into place. And that's why in the upper room, what we call the Last Supper, Jesus picked up the cup, the cup of redemption. Every Jew would have understood it and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. That's not what they expected to hear him say. This is the cup of the new covenant written in my blood. And as we know now, Wendell, that's a covenant of grace, God's unmerited favor to the infinitely ill-deserving. And God couldn't begin with that. He had to first demonstrate that the whole world was sinful. There's none good, no one who seeks after God. In my flesh is no good thing. We all inherited the sin nature from Adam. So we had to be redeemed from that, and that took blood, that took a death. And with that death, we then have the opportunity to embrace the grace of God. That's what this wonderful new covenant is. It's God's grace poured out to each and every one of us. Not that we deserve it, but simply because he loves us. So that's why he didn't begin with the new covenant. God had a plan. His plan is perfect. And now every man, every woman who's ever lived will stand before God without excuse. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Christ to the glory of God the Father. Wendell, thank you for the question. Hey, our phones have been quiet, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand on for life. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome, welcome back to the second half of our program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. You know what I found out? I found out that two minutes is not enough time to have a good taste of the banana pie that Thomas made for me. But, Paula, he wanted you to know, and I know Paula is listening, he wanted you to know that this is banana pie, banana cream pie, with gluten-free vanilla wafers. So it's not just for me, it's for you. So that means more exercise for both of us, I think. Hey, thank you very much for your questions. Here is a question that came in from our email inbox from Juan. Uh, Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. Why was the tribe of Dan replaced by Joseph's son's tribe in Revelation chapter 7? Is the tribe of Dan not expected to be around at that time? Thank you for your time, and may God continue to bless you. Thank you very much for the blessing. Uh, Juan. Uh, well, I'm, before I get that, you know, I've got a guy in the church, Gerald. I love him with all of my heart. And he never leaves this place on a Sunday 
without coming up and, and, and offering a blessing to me. It's so, so wonderful to do that. So uh, thank you for the blessing. Uh, the tribe of Dan uh, is not in Revelation 7. Now remember, this is, this is the, the 144,000 witnesses, um, and they're identified as the servants of God. And uh, the, the tribe of Dan couldn't be included in that. The tribe of Dan was guilty of the worst kinds of idolatry. Um, um, there's, their tribe was the first um, organized idolatry in Israel. Uh, it continued until the day of captivity in the land. They never repented. They never turned from it. So clearly they couldn't be called um, the, the servants of our God. Um, um, having said that, um, it's it, it's hopeful, I, I think grace, it's a good picture of grace, to know that Dan, along with all of the other tribes, will be saved. In fact, Dan is mentioned first in the apportioning of the land in the um, millennium, which we believe is coming soon. Um, and the Apostle Paul, as he reassures us, all Israel will be saved. All true Israel will be saved. Uh, but in Revelation chapter 7, where the 12,000 uh, uh, witnesses from the 12 tribes of Israel were set apart uh, from the tribe of Dan, there certainly weren't any who were um, qualified to serve or qualified to be called servants of God. So that's the reason, one. There's a consequence to pay for um, disobedience. Donald asks, is it okay to put out a fleece before God if you're not quite sure what you think he's leading you to do? Uh, it's a little scary for me to take a step of faith. Um, Donald, you know the fleece. Of course, we get that from Gideon. He throws out the fleece. But one of the things that I always remind people, Gideon threw out a fleece, so that's biblical. Yeah, but Gideon's fleece was a result of weak faith, not strong faith for sure. Um, so no, I don't think it is okay. I think it's testing God. And when when uh, God tells you what to do, if you think you have to be right, you don't understand the power of the Holy Spirit, Donald. So what you do is wait for God to confirm something to you in his word. Um, um, you know, I've found that when, when God's asking me to take a step of faith, um, before I take it, I know for sure that it's the Lord. It doesn't mean that it makes sense or it doesn't mean that I'm not afraid. Uh, but it means that I've got to do it because I'm confident it's him. So uh, don't don't get in the habit of putting out fleeces. Um, make sure your heart is right with God, Donald. I tell people at our church here all the time, if your heart is right with God, you don't have to be right. And if your goal in taking this step of faith is, God, all I want to do is bring you honor and glory. All I want to do is to please you. If that's your goal and you make the wrong choice, then you're going to be okay. God will, will redirect your steps. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. It doesn't say you have to be faithful to complete it. He is the author and finisher of our faith doesn't say, well, I started it, but now you're on your own, Donald. So just trust him. Walk with him by faith. And don't worry about being right or wrong. Just worry about whether or not your heart is right before God. I hope that makes sense to you. 
very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question that came in, called in from Irene to the studio. Uh, she says, like in Mark 16, when God let his disciples go out to spread the word and heal, do we still have that today in regards to healing? Irene, not in the same way that the apostles did. Now remember, the apostles' ministry was validated by the power to do miraculous things. As you go through the book of Acts, over and over and over, it says that many miracles and wonders or signs and wonders were done. And then the next three words, by the apostles. Now, what we've done in our church culture, because everybody's fascinated with miracles, um, and especially healing, because healing, people make a lot of money off these fake healing ministries. Um, uh, we've said, well, they're believers and I'm believers, so if they could heal, I could heal. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's just really, really bad dishonest scholarship. God sent his disciples, those who would be apostles. And he told them to make disciples, go in the world, and when they declared the word, there was power in the apostles' ministry to heal confirming signs that they really did have the authority of heaven. Imagine, Irene, what it was like when Peter looked at the beggar at the gate beautiful. Now, this was a beggar who had that prime location. You know, anytime you're doing anything with business, it's location, location, location. Being outside the gate beautiful was a prime spot. And begging wasn't um, um, a disgraceful thing then like it is now. Um, That's just the way people who were in unfortunate circumstances survived. And so they they had one of the best places and people that would come in and out would would offer alms and 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 help them. Um, Peter along with Jesus would walk by that gate beautiful many many times and nobody ever approached that beggar. But after the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in the church. Jesus is in heaven. He walked by that gate one day. The beggar asked for alms. And Peter looked at him full of the Holy Spirit. And I also personally believe full of fear. I mean, it's embarrassing if God tells you to do something and and it doesn't work. But Peter looked at him. It said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise and walk. So that morning, the beggar was expecting little money, and he got everything else that he couldn't possibly have dreamed about. Now, all of that to say, that was the validation for his ministry, for the the, the validating signs of the truth of his message. And the apostles all had that. Uh, including the Apostle Paul. It's what marked their authority as apostles. Now, that does not mean, Irene, that God doesn't heal today. He does. He just doesn't heal like we see healing on TV. You know, there's no um, healing gift that Benny Hinn has. There's no healing gift that any of these other uh, phonies have. Um, Gifts of healing that are given to us in the New Testament, in the letters to the Corinthians, they're gifts plural, and they're given to the people who are sick and need healing. So if you are sick and you got healed in a supernatural way, 
Well, that is a gift of the Spirit from God to you. So, um, not healing like in, in the, the apostles, but there is still healing. God sovereignly heals. Obviously, he doesn't heal often. But you see, we don't need the validation that our message is true, that we have power and authority. Why? Because we have an empty tomb. We have a risen Savior. So thank you for the question, Irene. I hope that straightens it out for you. God does still heal, just not in a way that's going to have somebody being exalted as a man with the gift of healing, that kind of thing. Let's go to Melissa on line one. Melissa, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Good to hear you. Thank you. Um, I am in a Revelations Bible study, and I went through your study a couple of weeks ago uh, in Revelations chapter 6, and you said something in your study that just kind of has been sitting with me for a couple of weeks now, and I just wanted to know if you can uh, touch on it a little bit. It was regarding um, when you pass away, that a conversation that you and Paula have about when you pass away, and it's you had stated that in heaven, all who died during the tribulation are already under the altar, even mm-hmm. though they're still on earth and haven't died yet. So the part that really was connecting with me, which made like perfect sense, but I just wanted you to, to talk about it a little bit more because you just did a little bit. You said that if I die first, meaning you, I'm going to go to heaven and find that you are already there. You're still here because she hasn't died yet. But when you get to heaven, she's going to be there because there's no time or space. Heaven is in always the present. Yes. (laughs) And so I was Um, just... yeah, I'll I'll talk about that, uh, uh, Melissa. Thank you very very much. You know, I I I know uh, that I've I've said that a few times, and when I say it, I always preface it by saying, "This is my opinion." Um, um, I will also be very candid and say that it is a minority opinion, um, but it's something that I've personally been convinced of. This isn't heresy. It's just. Um, um, I think as we we really consider the timelessness of of heaven, um, God is always in the present. And when we go uh, from here to there, um, then we step outside of time and space. And I believe personally that um, we're already in heaven, uh, that we're in the present with the Lord. We can't see it. We certainly can't experience it. Um, but... Um, I think that um, living outside of time and space gives us the opportunity to truly understand the grandeur, the majesty of God. So I do believe that that um, uh, if I die before Paula does, that I'll go to the presence of Jesus and and that she will already be there. Now, again, that's not heresy. It doesn't deal with Jesus's uh, Character is nature at all, but but I, I I just really believe with all of my heart that when we are with the Lord, we are in the everlasting I am. 
And everything is in the present. Everything is in the now. And um, I think that's one of the reasons that things will be uh, so filled with joy. Uh, One of the reasons we'll have all the answers to our questions. I'm not talking about an alternate dimension or anything like that, so I'm not going sci-fi on on the audience here. But I just believe that when we step into the presence of the Lord, we are in the now. And uh, I, I think... In the presence of Jesus right now, we're all there, waiting for the whole family on earth to gather together and be in the presence, the wedding supper of the Lamb, and then um, and then we'll be with Jesus. Now, let me also say this, because there's a difficulty with that, and I want to acknowledge it at the beginning. Uh, the difficulty with that is that we know from earth from from this perspective, that we're going to be with Jesus for seven years. But if there's no time and space in heaven, that seven years will be like seven seconds or seven minutes or seven days. Who knows? Uh, but 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 I think John is talking about time as it's measured here on earth. I also know that in the book of Revelation, there's a time where just before the, the, the judgments get really, really severe, I think there's a time when uh, there's uh, going to be a half hour of silence in heaven, um, just sort of a time of hushed awe. Um, uh, but but I think, again, that's a half hour, uh, as John would have understood, a half an hour um, from from the perspective of Earth. So again, I, 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 I certainly have no quarrels with anybody who says, oh, Pastor Ron, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, Paul is not going to be in heaven if you die before she is. Um, I just, I've I've really spent a lot of time thinking about this, and and again, my position is definitely a minority position, but um, I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, when when somebody dies, I do a lot of funerals. The idea of of being together instantly with the people that we love the most on this earth in the presence of Jesus together. To me, is the fullness of heaven. So, Melissa, again, I, I, I'm certain, I, I, I don't talk about this often, but I'm certain that I prefaced it with this. This is my opinion, and if you don't believe it, no problem at all. Uh, there's no biblical evidence for it. I just have thought a long time about the timelessness of God. Melissa, thank you. You sound like you've got allergies or something. I hope you're feeling okay. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Henry. Pastor and I don't get why Jesus allowed the demons from Legion to go into the herd of pigs. Um Henry, there, there were actually two demon possessed men and there were at least two thousand demons in those two men. Um but but I get this question fairly frequently. Um why didn't Jesus just destroy him or cast him into outer darkness? Uh, I believe that Jesus was giving what I call a, an action sermon illustration. Uh, I think when uh, Legion and his friend uh, were terrorizing the countryside, uh, Jesus, in, in order to witness to the, the the Gentiles that was in the Gadarenes, so it was it was largely a Gentile um, community, uh, and and pigs, of course, being off limits for Jews, I think Jesus was giving his disciples uh, an action 
sermon illustration that simply says this is the, the purpose of the devil. And so when he cast them out into and let them go into those demons, you remember the pigs immediately ran off the cliff and committed pig suicide. And I think that's Jesus simply saying that's the intent of the devil. That's the heart of the devil. He came to kill, to rob, to steal, and destroy. And I'm going to prove it to you. And that's exactly what happened. So that's why he allowed it. Uh, it served his purpose. Uh, and um, um, there's no other explanation, uh, Henry, for why he allowed it. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Here is a tough question, anonymous. Um, I'm guilty of the sin of gluttony. I eat way too much and I've gotten really fat. Can you help me overcome it? Uh, um, I can, I hope, uh, anonymous. Um, discipline, self-control. Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. Um, training and discipline is a part of our daily walk with Jesus. It, it's, it's teaching us to be more like Him. And so this is something that you've got to address in the power of God. You can try diets. You can, you can try crash exercise courses. You can try anything and everything. But um, only the power of God is going to do this. Now, this is something that you've got to believe that Jesus is bigger than your sin. Now, let me tell you, by what authority I speak. Before I got saved, I was obese. Um, I'm not a tall man, um, and I was painfully and unhealthily obese. And I knew uh, that that I was going to die young. If something didn't happen, I was going to die. Um, actually, the day I got saved, I knew it was my last chance. Now, I don't know details. I don't know whether it was my last chance because I was getting an emotional breakdown um, or or whether I was really going to die. But I, I just knew there was a sense of urgency. I knew this was my last chance. So I gave my heart to Jesus. And, you know, you always hear people talking about, well, Jesus said this or the Lord spoke to my heart and said this and said that. The very first thing that, that Jesus ever spoke to my heart Again, not an audible voice, not anything weird. But the very first thing that he spoke to my heart was, get your body in shape. We've got work to do. And I remember feeling defeated. In fact, it came um, a request. I was out walking with the Lord. Uh, it's still dark outside, very early, early in the morning. And um, I used to work 100 plus hour weeks. And so I'd get up really, really early. And walk. Well, one day I was out there and saying, Oh, Lord, I want to, you know, how we young Christians, Lord, I'll do anything. I'm your man. You can ask me anything, God. All I want is to please you, to honor you. And the Lord, that's when he spoke to me and said, Get your body in shape. That's what I want. We've got work to do. And I remember breaking down at that point because I cried. Here I've been telling you that I would do anything. Lord, you could ask me anything. I'm so grateful for what you've done. And that the one thing you asked me, I cannot do. And I remember very soberly saying, if you want me to get healthy, Lord, if you want me to lose weight, I can't do it. You have to do it. And I can't explain, Anonymous, but I knew 
It was as though the Lord took a sigh of relief. Finally, you're going to let me do something. Um, and I said, Jesus, it's yours. I tried every diet, exercise. I used to be an athlete, played college baseball. I knew how to work out, but but nothing ever lasted. I always gained more weight after I lost it. I gained, you know, 50% more than I lost again. And I remember just telling him that he had to do it. And for the next six or seven months, Anonymous, I would find myself out on the street running, I I used to drink an enormous amount of Coca-Colas. And I stopped drinking Coca-Cola. That's the only real diet change I made. Um, replace it with water. Start drinking large quantities of water. But I'd find myself up and on the street. Sometimes I, I the alarm would go off in the morning. I'd get up and I'd, I'd turn over like I'm going to go back to sleep. And the next thing I'd be consciously aware of us out on the street running... And I started running downhill. I lived on sort of a, a mountain avenue and I was going on the downhill part. So it wasn't so hard. I'd go as far as I could. And I got to where I would pray coming back. And that's when I developed the, the, the habit of praying while I'm walking. And I started to like my time with prayer so much. I, I was so out of shape, I couldn't pray and run at the same time. But I'd, I'd run as far as I could. And then I would take all the time I needed walking back slowly and praying. And I looked. Loved it so much that I kept running farther and farther and farther. So I had more and more time to pray coming back. And I think I lost like 70 pounds or so in the first six months, seven months. And um, and I just continued to, to, to watch what I ate. I didn't diet, uh, but I watched what I ate. And I wanted to be healthy. I wanted to serve the Lord. You can't serve him dead. So confess your sin. You, you, you've done that here to me, but, but you deal with Jesus. And here's my promise to you, Anonymous. He will help you get healthy. He doesn't care what you look like. This isn't a cosmetic thing. But he cares that you're healthy, that your body's strong. We need to take care of our bodies, our physical bodies. And if we do that by the power of the Spirit, then... You will lose weight, you will get healthy, and you will add a bunch of years to your life. Now, when I've shared this in our church, there's always people who are a little sensitive, and they'll come up and they'll cry, and we'll talk to them about it. But I can't tell you, Anonymous, how many people in our church have gotten healthy, have lost a lot of weight. We have one woman in our church, she calls this program occasionally. Uh, She has lost well over 200 pounds in the last two years. And she's added um, uh, 15, 20 years to her life. We have another young man that I love. He's been around for a very long time. And in this last year, he's lost 100 pounds. And now he's exercising and working on weights. He looks really, really buff and fit. And he's not obsessed with it. He's obsessed with Jesus. But you see, that's what happens when Jesus does the work. When we try to do it, we're going to fail. We have no willpower. The only thing we have is won't power. But this is a problem you need to give into the hands of Jesus. If you'll do that, you're going to see how pleased he is. Hope that helps. Special Day Day show tomorrow. Paul and the ladies from the Women's Retreat will talk about what God has done. Some really great stories. May the Lord bless you and keep you. We'll be back on Thursday.
This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We'll be back tomorrow. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Calvary.